Welcome to Save It for the Drive, the podcast for voices of women veterans. I'm your host and veteran, Ingrid Kennedy. Join me as I interview lady veterans from all branches of the military and eras to hear their stories, challenges, and triumphs. Hello, and this week I'm introducing Angela smith Kenny. She's an Air Force veteran who served from the years 2000 to 2023. And I'm looking forward to hear all about your adventures and your career path, Angela. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ingrid. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. So do you want to start off with kind of talking a little bit about your origin story and how you decided to go into the military and and your decision and did you research anything or, or how you went about to decide to go into the Air Force? Sure. So um, I was 21 when I, when I came into the Air Force and um, I, I did a little bit of research, but I had watched my brother go into the Marines right after high school. He's just a year older than I am. So I kind of got to watch his journey and see what the Marines was all about, um, you know, vicariously through him. So when it was my turn, I knew that wasn't the right choice for me. Um, and at that time, I was 21. I had done some, you know, junior college and tried a few different jobs and things. And I just wasn't quite finding the right fit for myself. Um, so I really thought that the military was sort of the way to go because I wanted to do something and I had a heart to serve and to help people. Um, and so it sort of seemed like a good path. And uh, of course, of, of his recommendation, especially being a Marine, he said, the only service you're allowed to join is the Air Force. So I went. Oh, it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> it is. He was like, Air Force is where you're going. So um, <clears throat> I don't remember if I actually talked to any other recruiters, but I did try around 1999. I went and started talking to the same group of recruiters um, where he had joined. And just because of um, some paperwork and some different things, I think I was became sort of burden, burdensome to them, and they weren't really helping put me in. So I had uh, done some counseling and things like that, and they were like, oh, I don't even want to deal with this. So I mm -hmm. waited, and then in 2000, I went and talked to another recruiter, and she was amazing. And uh, Virginia Wimmer, I'll never forget her. So she put me in the Air mm -hmm. Force. And that was it. I never looked back. So since you had a little bit of college on your resume, were you able to enlist with some stripes on your arm? I was not. Unfortunately, I just missed the cutoff. And I actually came in as an Airman Basic. So I was a good old slick sleeve and uh, an E1. And um, yeah, so no rank for me coming in. Mm -hmm. And uh, you had your basic training at Lackland mm -hmm. and any, um, any fun memories from that wonderful time in your <laughs> career? <laughs> I do. I, um, I, well, I remember being <clears throat> just terrified 
um, I didn't really know much about the service or what that experience was going to be like. And as much as, you know, the recruiter tries to prepare you, there's nothing quite as jarring for when you show up to basic training um, and they're screaming and putting people on their face right away. And, um, but I survived. And <clears throat> I think because of that first initial shock and being so terrified to like be yelled at or, you know, or have some confrontation, I actually ended up doing so well in basic training. I ended up as an expert marksman, an honor graduate, and um, of course with the basic training ribbon, but I think it's because I was petrified. <laughs> and I, mm -hmm. I, uh, I had a top bunk and that was a challenge too. I did used to get yelled at all the time because it was hard to make the top bunk. Um, and so that was sort of a, a funny experience. And um, I ended up failing part of the confidence course that we had to do because the line was like edging up and pushing us. And I, I kind of got pushed into the, where you swing across the water with the ropes. And so I got mm -hmm. pushed in and I fell in the water and I, I ended up having to basically get sent back and then having to repeat that, which was also terrifying, but somehow, um, you know, you, you make it through all those things and uh, you, know, you start building that character pretty early on um, yeah those are the biggest things I remember yeah and wh what AFSC did you end up going into so I left without a job and uh, that that was another sort of um, you know uh, memory that always sticks out in my mind is when I was at MAPS they did try to assign me several jobs um, you know from security forces to air crew maintenance. Um, and I just, I just held onto my guns and I was like, I do not want to do any of those things. They were not very happy with me, um, but they ended up putting me in open general. And that was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. So I didn't get a job assigned until I was at basic training. Um, and that's when um, I found out I was going to be a 4E, which is a public health technician. Um, and so I didn't know really what that meant, of course, but it was a godsend. It was the perfect career choice for me. And um, I stuck with it the whole, the whole time. And can you explain for the listeners a little bit about what a public health technician is responsible for? Sure. So the, a public health technician is very similar to when you think of, you know, like a, a community public health department. Um, and we're sort of like a, a very, it's a very eclectic job and it is what kind of like a jack of all trades situation. So we do a little bit of everything from, you know, community health interviews. We do, um, you know, all, all the, um, the food inspections on base. We have a deployment mm -hmm. health mission where we look at all the, um, you know, requirements for folks who are deploying as well as travel medicine, and we have an entire, you know, OC health portion where we're looking at hearing conservation and, you know, what people are exposed to in their jobs across the base, on the flight line, things like that. So it's, it's mm -hmm. a pretty um, broad job. It's really interesting and could bring you something different every day. And was your tech school at Brooks or did it move to a different base? No, it was at Brooks. That was a magical base. 
Yeah, because that's where I did my 4F training. So I wasn't mm -hmm. sure if it was still operating as as the schoolhouse. It was. That, that was such a fantastic experience. I do think we were one of the last classes to go through. Um, but yeah, it was a small base in San Antonio, right? And um, they have the research lab there and the aerospace medical or medicine schoolhouse. And yeah, there was four ASFDs that went to Brooks? No. Uh, the Bs, the bioenvironmental engineers, the four Fs, which I know that that AFSC went away for a while and then it yep. came back. Yep. Public aerospace health. physiology. Yeah. Maybe just the three. Okay. And then uh, where did you, how, how long is public health tech school? It was three months back then. Okay. And where did you go following tech school? So following tech school, I found out um, that I got orders to Shepherd Air Force Base in Texas. Uh, it's in Wichita mm -hmm. Falls. And I was never more devastated in my life. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you're watching your classmates get orders to, like, Hawaii and Colorado and, like, you know, California and just places that seemed so much more exciting. Uh-huh. Um, but I did. I and, and everybody's, like, you know, making their, their airplane arrangements and, um, and you just have to wait for a bus to take you to... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i only know about that base from that's where the uh nursing services like the four ends do their tech school mm -hmm. um is there a big hospital on base or so there isn't anymore but back then there was there was a, a fully functioning hospital at Shepherd, it is now a clinic, I believe, um, and they might have an emergency department, but I'm I'm not even sure of that. Um, right. But at the time, it was, and it was a huge tech school. So, um, you know that that was really the main purpose was all of, you know, all of the four ends, and I think there was a couple other AFSCs that they trained there, and they had a, a big pilot training at Shepherd as well. Okay. And as a young public health tech, what types of things did you do when you, when you were on base there? Well, I have to say it was kind of like harrowing going to a base as an airman basic. And that's where, that's your first duty station. But everywhere you go, you get confused for a tech school student. So that was sort of an interesting experience because, you know, you're like kind of constantly getting yelled at and then having to defend yourself. Like I'm stationed here. <laughs> you, oh, oh, that's sorry. funny. Oh, I can't yell at you for walking on the grass. You're stationed here. So uh, that was sort of interesting. But right away, I got thrown into doing briefings for all the newcomers. And that that was sort of the first um you know, for public health, there is a lot of public speaking. And so that, that was the first introduction to that, where there's an auditorium of like 400 new students, and you have to stand up there and talk to them about all things public health, um, you know, including STI prevention and, you know, food safety and, you know, hearing conservation and just sort of like all these different things. Um, 
but that was really interesting. And I did mm-hmm. work in food safety there. So a lot of times as, as young airmen, you get put in food safety right away. Um, so you start helping do food inspections across base and then hearing conservation or giving audiograms is another sort of like, you know, easy task per se. It seems to be like the, the first um, track in terms of learning your job. So I did both of those things there um, and enjoyed them both, but I will never forget those those crazy briefings. And how how long were you at Shepherd? I was only at Shepherd a couple years and I was trying to get orders there's a there's a code you can put on your dream sheet and I think it was like code 88 if I remember correctly but I was that's like I'll go anywhere so I was I had that I had put um you know Germany Korea like all these places and I was sure like all right I volunteered to go to Korea I'm gonna get sent to Korea But one day I was sitting in the office and I got an email and, um, or I I probably checked online and I had gotten orders to Japan. Oh, that sounds like a dream come true. (laughs) It was. I I couldn't wait. I I actually loved the people in, in Wichita, my coworkers. It was that first lesson in the Air Force of it doesn't matter where you are, but who you're with. And um, Mm -hmm. so they were wonderful, but there was tumbleweeds there and I was young and yeah, I was super excited to go to Japan. What was your first impression? Was that your first time out of the country? Yes. So it was my first time out of the country. I would say I was just, I was very adventurous. And I think when you're young, I was just open to anything. So, I mean, it was a little nerve wracking sometimes, you know, I remember the first time like flying into Narita airport and like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Um, You know, because in Japan, especially it's such a culture shock because it's so different than the United States. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, it it felt a little, a little bit crazy, but I just remember being so open to the adventure and the experience. Like it was more exciting and thrilling than anything else. Yeah. And uh, were you on, were you on Okinawa or where, where, what base were you? Um, I was stationed at Yakota. So that Mm -hmm. is uh, right near Tokyo. And I was there for three years. Awesome. What was your favorite thing about being at that duty station or what was, do you have any favorite memories? Um, let me see. I, it's so hard because there's so many. Um, I think just all of the, um, you know, like I just got to do so many cool things. I mean, on and off base, that, that was my first, um, that was my first experience with chem warfare exercises. So we, we exercise in Japan, uh, pretty similar to the way you exercise in Korea, maybe not as frequently, but pretty frequently. So, um, there, there was a lot of sort of, you know, military stuff that I hadn't done at Shepherd, right? So it was like the bad drags, the, um, 
the exercises, you know, 24, op, 24 hour ops, um, mm-hmm. sort of, and, and, and you're just like on base, I lived on base. And so it, it was very, but it, but it was like really fun too to sort of do that with, with all your coworkers. Um, mm-hmm. And then there, there was other things like as a public health technician, um, we had the tsunami happened when I was stationed at Yakota. Um, oh, so wow. the, yeah, so there was there was stuff like that, right? That was very memorable. I mean, it was a, it was a huge um, natural disaster where we, you know, deployed a lot of relief for the tsunami. So, mm-hmm. you know, I got to be involved in, in, in all of that work, which was really interesting. And then on the other side of that, really, it was just spending time, like, on the economy, right? Like, Japan is so amazing. So, you know, um, traveling by train in Japan is really interesting. Um, you know, like the bullet train, things you hear about that are just, you know, I'm visiting different uh, places in, in Tokyo and, you know, Mount Fuji and, um, mm-hmm. you know, just like they have a fertility festival every year. And um, which is interesting. It started, you know, I don't know, tons of years ago for farmers and sort of ended up into those who are trying to conceive. So like, I don't know, it's just like, it's just all these different cultural things that were really neat. Even McDonald's in Japan is interesting because everything is just so, and it looks just like the picture. Um, yeah. You know, and, and everybody's like so polite and um, yeah, I don't know. It was yeah. amazing. It was amazing. Awesome. So you were there for three years where did you go after that? So around the, um, uh, you know, when I knew my time was sort of coming up, I was having just an amazing adventure and I just was not ready to come back to the States. So I put in to go to Korea. And next thing you know, I had orders to Kunsan Air Base. And so that's mm-hmm. where I had a next. Nice. I don't know if I ever really knew about all these places that you've been. I knew you were in Japan, but tell me about Korea because that's a place I haven't been. um, And uh, how was it different from being in Japan? Like, was it a different culture totally or were there some similarities? It was a, it was definitely a different culture. I, I feel like there's some similarities in general with like some Asian culture, but I feel like I was there long enough that you really start to pick up on the differences. Um, And I loved my experience in Korea too, but I would call Korea like uh, Japan's like dirty cousin. Like it was like, it was just a different, (laughs) (laughs) it was just a totally different feel. Um, Okay. And, uh, and I, you know, Kunsan was pretty rural, you know, so I, I had gone from, um, you know, kind of like the hustle and, and bustle in Japan um, to yeah, in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, you live in the dorms in Korea. So I, I lived in the dorms there. So that was a different experience. Um, mm-hmm. And, and it, and it was, I say dirty, like it was like, it was, it just seemed a little bit more polluted a little bit more you know like a, a little more smoggy um you mm-hmm. know 
and then just in general culturally it was so different right there there wasn't families there it was it was working and drinking and uh Kunsan, very interestingly, and I, and I don't know if this still exists today, but they had what they called hooches. And, you know, during the day, it was like, you know, the squadron training room. But in the evening, they turned into hooches and each squadron had one. And, and it was basically like your squadron bar. So on Kunsan, we would go hooch hopping. And, uh, just you know, on just, the base. Yeah, on the base. Uh-huh. And, oh, and, and, yeah. Wow. So it was like maybe like an a uh, military version of a progressive dinner, but it'd be like <laughs> <laughs> from one work department to another uh, to just kind of socialize <laughs> and camaraderie and all that stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so were there any? Like, what kinds of things would you do for fun as, like, a young airman going, like, were you able to go? Because it looks like Kunsan is, like, right um, by the Gulf or right by the water. So <laughs> there, there is a sea uh, there. Um, I did I did a couple fun things in Kunsan. I went rafting. The yellow, the yellow Sea. I'm looking at the map right now. Yes, the Yellow Sea. Yep, thank you. Okay. Um, yeah, so I went rafting, and to be honest with you, I do not remember what river we rafted, um, but that was really fun. Okay. Um, and I also, um, I took classes there, and it, I really liked Korea because, like, it's a measure of time, right? Like that, I was there for 14 months, but usually it's like a year tour, and it's such a measure of time. So when you look back, it's like kind of wild what you accomplished in that 14 months. So I actually ended up getting um, group exercise certified and teaching spin class at, at the gym in the mornings. Um, and we used to take the bus to Osan because Osan was a bigger base. There was better restaurants and shopping and uh, uh -huh. had a great building there. So we stay for the weekend and sort of enjoy everything they had there before going back to Kunsan on Sunday. Was Kunsan more of a smaller base? It was much, much smaller. It was more rural. Um, we had a little place off of Kunsan, like there was a little downtown, it was Kunsan. And then there was also a little place we used to go um, called K-Town. And you could take a bus there from base. And it was, it was kind of seedy, but it was like, you know, it was like bars with juicy girls and some restaurants and a little like, you know, seedy shopping, like, <laughs> uh -huh. but definitely, of course we did that too, you know? So then where did you go after Korea? So I, I knew that I was going to Germany because I got my follow on as they call it um, before I left. Um, or maybe while I was there, I don't, I don't remember, but so I knew I was going to go to Germany. So that's where I went. I went to the Ramstein Air Base. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I, I was there for three years. When you were in Korea, was there any different ops tempo because of, of that when you were over there or was it pretty much the like business as usual kind of thing or. That was the feeling I got is, is that it was pretty 
business as usual. I mean, it was it was definitely um, an increased op tempo, um, but but I think that was typical for that area, and and probably is still typical for that area today, just because of of what's been going on in that area for so long. Um, and then tell me about being at Ramstein. Were you were you working in the the big medical center there, or what what uh, what was your life like working public health there? So it was pretty, uh, my life at Ramstein was amazing. It was um, just a, a kind of a typical um, office. I, I worked at, on Ramstein Air Base at the, at the Ramstein Clinic. Um, I lived in Longstool, which was the village where, you know, they have the Longstool Regional Medical Center there. And so nothing, nothing really stands out there in terms of of work, it was pretty typical. I did get to do some fun things. They actually have a couple really large, like food processing plants at Ramstein, where they they process food. They have a, a meat packing plant there, um, and they actually supply a lot of the bases in Europe with meat from that um, processing plant. So that's one place. That was a neat thing. You know, we got to inspect that as public health there in Ramstein. And then we did work with the army sometimes too, because there was a lot of shared um, like ration storage and food storage that the army helped to monitor as well. Um, so mm -hmm. that was a, that was a neat experience too. But mostly, what I remember about Germany was just the opportunity of travel, and and that was pretty amazing. And that's another area where they have a pretty good train system and uh transportation and just being in Europe it's it's easy to take a weekend trip to another country nearby and see a lot of you know things like to tour around in in Europe is a, lots of fun and a good opportunity oh my um, god like the opportunity of a lifetime i know yeah i know you you got some good duty stations, I must say. And I think it's kind of funny how you went from Kunsan and had a K-Town and then there's Kaiser Slaughter where yes. everybody calls it that K-Town as well. Uh -huh. So there must be like a K-Town everywhere by, <laughs> by a military base, I wonder. But um, like you said, with the like the food inspections and, and that sort of thing. Sure. So um there, there wasn't necessarily a direct role, but they would ask for volunteers a lot of times. So they had um, what they called the CASIV, which was in Ramstein. And so that's where they would fly into. And so that was like, mm -hmm. that was like a receiving center or staging area. And then they would take people from there to the launch to a hospital. Um, and so I did volunteer there a couple times um, to help. And basically there, it, that was a lot of manpower, especially because as public health, we're, we're non-clinical. Um, and so that's really like manpower, really just helping to get people off of airplanes or getting them situated, like once they would come into the staging facility um, mm -hmm. before they would get transported to launch to a hospital. Um, so I think that's something we were always, or I was anyway, like you were always aware of that. And during that time, we had a lot of, of wounded warriors, right? We had, we had a lot of people coming through all the time. There was always plane landing 
there, there was always calls for volunteers or for help. Um, and then if you had any business that launched to a hospital, it was evident, right? There was, there was wounded warriors being taken care of in, in all sorts of different capacities there. Um, and right. it, you know, so it, it was very evident and, um, you know, I, I think something that I was aware of all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that is the, like one of the big hubs for AeroVac that, um, when they transport the, the wounded from downrange, that's like the, the big, uh, medical center and they either go there or they go back stateside. So there's a lot of transportation activity that happens there. So in what years were you at Ramstein? Oh gosh, let me see. Um, I left. I'm just trying to think where we are in the <laughs> yeah in the like, timeline of your your career. Like, what's going on in the world? I know. Well, let's see. I I left there in October of 2009. So I think I got to Ramstein. Um, just. Just, uh, I it might have been December of 2006 or January of 2007. I, th- I think it was January of 2007 that I got to Ramstein. Um, and then where'd you go after Germany? So after Germany, I ended up, um, I decided I wanted to pursue my education and, and I just didn't feel like I could do that on active duty the way I wanted to. So I separated from active duty mm-hmm. and I actually did try to go into the guard. They had recruiters there on the base and the guard recruiter was like, just never in the office. He, he just was not interested. So I ended up going to the reserves. Is this and, when you were uh, in Germany? Like, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. So they're probably like traveling somewhere. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) They went to like Paris for the weekend or something. Exactly. Yeah. There's no time to help me. Yeah. But the reserve recruiter was really nice and he helped me. And so I transitioned from active duty. I I left there in October and in November, I showed up at Grissom Air Reserve Base in Indiana for my first drill. (laughs) Where is that? (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> it was some Indiana. Yeah, it is um oh gosh, it's in the boondocks. Um I cannot even tell you to be honest. I, I don't even remember like the town. I just remember it feeling kind of like the twilight zone. It was uh-huh. very rural. I had to drive four hours to get there. Um and from that was where from uh, I, so I, when I moved home, I, I started going to Northern Illinois university and I was living in Aurora. Okay. Yeah. So I would drive from Aurora, Illinois to Grissom, a reserve base in Indiana. Okay. I see this. So it is like, it looks like it's a couple, maybe like I it's North of Indianapolis. Uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just a little southwest of Fort Wayne, uh-huh. and maybe like I don't know, is it like three hours from Chicago? Would you say, or probably? I know it took me about four hours from Aurora. Aurora, um, okay, yeah, 
Oh. And, the, and they get all the lake effect snow there. So that was my first experience too. Like that first winter driving, I had a, a 2000 Ford Taurus and it was like a boat. And I'd be like driving that through the lake effect snow to Indiana. Like, <laughs> for, for, the, miserable, for like miserable. drill weekend? Or... Yes. Yeah. Oh. For drill weekend. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you were, this is while you're going to NIU. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then you go do your drill weekends. In Grissom, Indiana. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So I um. So I. What kind yeah. of base is that? Like, what kind of airframe do they have? You know, to be honest, Ingrid, I don't even remember. I want maybe I, I'm just like I think it might have been a refueling wing, but I I was so disengaged there because it was like they were very clicky. It was very Twilight Zone. It was just so. So interesting, but if I remember correctly, I want to say it was refueling wing. But that was so. I'm I'm guessing that's not your favorite place that you were at. No, that was my like. Oh my god, what has happened? <laughs> so how was it transitioning from active duty to reserve? Um, you know, it was it was a huge transition. There were some things that felt really nice, you know, because there was you know, you gained a little freedom back and that sort of thing. But honestly, I really loved my active duty experience. And so it was a little bit lonely too. You know, I was used to kind of showing up somewhere and then headed to Stockholm with a, a group of, of people that, you know, two weeks from now would be your best friends. And yeah, you're all stuck there together. And now... Yeah. Yeah, so you make on active duty. I can imagine that you all kind of have to. You're all your own family, um, and you you go and, through so many things together, right? Even in the even in the guard, right? When you go through exercises and you're and you're doing mm-hmm. all of those things where they say like you know embrace the suck and but you but you yeah. have that commonality with each other and um, yeah, so you just um, yeah you just make friendships and relationships go easily, and so I I struggled with that a little bit when I separated. Um, and then what were you, what kind of degree were you working on at uh, college? So my goal was like, my end goal was always my master's in public health. I mean, I just loved public health. I wanted to pursue it on the civilian side. And that was sort of the motivation for separating at that like crucial tenure mark too. Cause I sort of, you know, you sort of think about all that. It's like, do you, do you wait until retire on active duty and I'm 40 or in my early 40s and then sort of try to pursue this civilian career or do mm-hmm. I pursue this master's degree when I'm younger and, and pursue um, you know a career when I'm much younger so that that was sort of the path I ended up taking and so I was working on my bachelor's in public health at NIU at the time. And how long were you at Grissom? I was at Grissom for about a year. And I then had gotten an opportunity to move to New Jersey. I think the other thing I struggled with when I separated from active duty was that I had just kind of come off the adventure of a lifetime. Seven years overseas, you know, just doing all these really cool things for work, but also like having all these neat travel experiences. And I was feeling a little stagnant and bored. So I got this opportunity to move to New Jersey and I took it. 
And so that's when I went into the status called IRR, so mm-hmm. no pay, no point status. And so for a year, I, you know, I left Grissom in the dirt, went to New Jersey, and I wasn't drilling. I, I still on paper, IRR status is, is something like a status they can put you into. It makes it easier for you to come back in the service. And is that individual ready reserve or something yeah. like that? Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, the recruiter that worked with me when I left Grissom was really awesome. And he said, this is what I recommend for you because you could come back and it's very easy. And I said, okay, that's, you know, I'll do that. And um, so, so I sort of stuck it out in that status for about a year before I decided I, I really missed everything, right? I missed wearing a uniform. I missed the camaraderie. So while in New Jersey, I had an opportunity to, to work at the guard unit. I went and talked to the recruiter there, and that's when I enlisted into the Guard. That was a much better experience than Grissom Air Reserve Base. (laughs) How would you describe the difference in going from Reserve to Guard? Was it it just kind of like because it was a different base, or do you feel like it was like a different culture? was a little bit of a different culture. The reserve unit seemed, um, well, you know, it's, it's a little interesting too, just because the mission is a little bit different between guard and reserve and, and the funding is a little bit different. Um, so I would, I would say, you know, but, but again, I have that very limited reserve experience. So, I mean, they seemed, mm-hmm. even though it was like this very rural sort of twilight zone experience, they were a little bit elitist to me, you know, which made them a little clicky. And, uh, you know, I, I felt like when I went to the guard, it was a much kinder experience. And it could be the location, too. It was a joint base. So it was a guard unit, um, the 108, in active duty installation. And, you know, that always feels a little bit different. But the people were more open. They were kinder. They were more accepting. Um, so it was a completely different experience. Did you say inactive duty installation or active duty installation? Um, at an active duty installation. Okay, so you were you were on an actual base. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, um. Oh gosh, what is the actual name? It's it's um, McGuire Air Force Base, but let's you know, oh right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. You already have your public health degree at this time? No, you so I, I sort of paused. Like I finished, I was just finishing my bachelor's degree when I went to New Jersey. So New Jersey was sort of like a pause X for me. It was like, let me have this adventure. And um, and so, I, so I'm so i out in New Jersey and I have to go back home. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I, um, oh, I remember what I was going to say. So I was just going to say maybe for... Um, our listeners, we should differentiate the difference between like active duty guard and reserve. So active duty is like the regular military. It's Mm -hmm. your full-time job and that, and then reserves are, you should explain it, but it's uh, the, they're under the federal government and they, you do your one week in a month and training in the summertime, uh, but you can be called up to to work active duty Mm -hmm. if needed. And then for the Air National Guard or the National Guard, you're, you also have uh, your, your hierarchy is, is under 
your respective state. So the governor of the state is kind of um, your reporting body Mm -hmm. and you're responsible for uh, being available for um, like natural disasters or things that are, are happening in the state. But then you could also be to support the active duty as well mm-hmm. um, for a war or contingency and that sort of thing. So reserve and guard are kind of similar in that you do that you, you have like your civilian job, but just uh, are just co- constantly training to be ready to deploy at any time. Right. Mm-hmm. Would you would you add anything? No, I don't else think so. I, I think that was that was a, a, a great uh, definition of those it, I, I just always you know like the, the reserve and guard are so similar right being a part of that um um like the the arc or whatever the the reserve yeah component. air reserve mm-hmm. yeah air reserve component mm-hmm. yeah 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 and and the whole goal of all the training is that when you do deploy somewhere you just fall right into whatever the active duty is doing and and Whenever I've gone somewhere and I've heard that the active duty people didn't know if we were guard or reserve or what, or other active duty people that were like, happened to be there, I felt like we did a good job (laughs) that we kind of were able to blend in and not seem so civilian like. Uh huh. Well, I always thought that, um, and you just don't realize this when you're on active duty. You, know, you you have a little bit of an elitist syndrome on active duty, you know, and uh, but you do, <laughs> yeah, it's so bad, it's so bad, yeah. Um, there's but, a little rivalry, I guess, <laughs> just a smidge. Um, yeah, we used to receive units like at Ramstein, you know, of like guard or reserve folks, and and in the the attitude was, it, and this is unfortunate actually, but the attitude was always like. Oh, the guard is coming. Oh, the reserve is coming. Oh, they just want to come, you know, they just want a vacation, you know? And uh-huh. well, like they're well, here they're... for their two weeks and then they go. <laughs> right. Exactly. And and I and I know some of that is a little bit true, but also I think the really neat thing and what I realized when I went into the reserve and, and then the guard is that what an amazing group of professionals, right? Um, and what an eclectic group of people um, that have all sorts of various, various degrees and do all sorts of really cool things um, in their civilian life, right? And then they come on the weekend and they train and they work. And sometimes it's in the same field, but sometimes it's not. You know, some, sometimes you might, you might have somebody who does something really cool on the civilian side. And then, you know, they, they come in and they do admin work during guard or drill because they're, they're track, right? I, I forget what program that is, right? But, but they're going to end up being a flight doctor, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it's really interesting. And um, I, I always was in awe after, after I transferred over. It's like, it's unfortunate that that's the mindset, you know, especially when you think about joint training and kind of how the services could really help each other. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I remember in basic training, sitting in a class and it, there was a, a drill instructor, which wasn't one of our flights, but, um, I think we 
they were going through like who's going where and um and you know I was in the guard and I remember him saying something like oh I have my opinions about the guard like like you don't have your they don't have their full heart into it or Mm -hmm. you know kind of like uh I don't know, it was kind of looking down on us. And, and, you know, I was, I was a slick sleeve airman too. So I'm not, (laughs) I wasn't gonna (laughs) like educate him because I didn't know anything either at that time. And, and then, but I do remember when I went to officer training school, they really, um, they really did a lot of education on how beneficial the garden reserve was. And I think after, 9-11 with the global war on terrorism I think Mm -hmm. you could see that the number of people that were deploying it was majority garden reserve yeah that you know there was like they were always the ones like deploying I mean active duty was deploying too but um the majority of these wars were fought by citizen airmen and soldiers that left their civilian jobs to go do that. And I think, I think that says a lot about your dedication to serve and, and all that as well. So I know if I ever find that guy, again, <laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell him a thing or two, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, but you do have your, I guess your preconceived notions until, until mm-hmm. you do work alongside with those those people. And, and I, I have a lot of respect for the active duty and, and also the, you know, people that serve in other branches, because we all have our important things that we do and bring mm-hmm. to, to the table. And it's all important, you know, absolutely. Well, that was one of the major things about being um, in, in the guard, right, is we had a lot of joint training opportunities. Um, which were really interesting. And and I'm thankful for those too. I mean, when you get to go spend your two weeks at an army installation or at a naval base um, and really see like what our sister services do um, and and how we complement each other and, and, you know, the the training that they receive and the training we receive and how we can help each other. um, I I think some some of those were really fantastic experiences. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and then how long were you out at McGuire or, or New Jersey? Not long. That was, that was sort of a short experience. I was there about a year and a half and um, I, I was really itching to, to get back, back to Illinois near family. And mm-hmm. uh, so I, I just kept looking. I thought, oh, there's a guard unit at Scott Air Force Base. And so I would look and lo and behold, I I almost fell out of my chair one day. I looked and there was a a full-time public health tech position open at Scott at the 126th. So next thing you know, I was having a phone interview and um, moving back to Illinois. That's a whole other opportunity is that they have full-time positions on garden reserve bases. So, so you were able to work, were you considered a contractor or like, what did they call your position? 
the like as a full-timer was a technician. Um, a, yep. And it was a GS position. So there was a couple different, they had, um, they had, uh, what's the full-time, um, that are more like active duty. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why it's <laughs> They're not, not the, not civilian contractors. Uh-uh. Cause those are like GS employees. Right. Uh, I don't know. But we always call them the full timers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was always yeah. a traditional guardsman where I just uh-huh. did the, the mm-hmm. weekends and the two weeks and all that. So, yeah. uh, but there's, there's, you know, like, I feel like sometimes when I'm doing these interviews, we're like trying to think of what it's called. And then like, somebody's going to be listening to this and be like screaming it out. Like, <laughs> It's this. I know. I know. I'm like, I should text somebody right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So, oh, um, it's, okay, a, it's so... an AGR. It's an AGR position. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So they had the two different. So my, what is a, what does AGR stand for? Like air guard reserve or something? I don't know. Oh, active, active. Um, oh, they're going to kill us right now. Um, <laughs> active guard <laughs> active person guard active guard reserve I don't know um, okay yeah so they, well, we get they, the idea yeah exactly so they get paid as an active duty and they get those benefits and then they have technicians which are GS employees so it's just sort of interesting because it is it's a whole different um sort of hierarchy of positions and it's interesting yeah so I mean with the guard, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't just, that needs to continue to, things don't just shut down after the drill weekend's over. No. You know, Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be done. So they have these full-time positions for us to be able to keep the mission going. So, so you were hired on at Scott on the guard unit Mm -hmm. as a full-time public health technician or Mm-hmm. So, so I, I was a full-time technician and um, that was also, I want to say maybe a year and a half as the technician there. And then I transitioned to um, a traditional guardsman. Yeah. How come you made that transition? Was it? So, um, what's that, Ingrid? Oh, I said, um, how come you made the transition to traditional guard? So was that was for school or? Things. Yeah, there was a lot of different things at that time. I I had been accepted to a master's program. So initially, I was accepted to a master's program at St. Louis University. And it was like this hybrid in-person uh, online program. And I was really excited about it. And then around that same time, I found out that I was pregnant. I, I originally, you know, I had the original GI Bill. And then I bought into, I forget what they called it, but it, it gave like an additional benefit. And so I did that as well. So I ended up going all the way, you know, through receiving my master's degree. And I did have to take like one very small loan. Um, mm-hmm. But between the Air Force GI Bill, and then I also used the Illinois Veterans Grant, um, which is mm-hmm. just another grant for us here in Illinois. I mean, most of my schooling was paid for. So how long were you at Scott? Because I know you didn't finish your career at Scott. Right. So I was at Scott until 
Wait, um, do, did you say the year? I think it cut out a little bit. Oh, sure. Yeah. So I believe it was 2019. Okay. Mm -hmm. So in 2019, um, or kind of like working up to that, I, I was wanting to commission as a public health officer. And I didn't have that opportunity at Scott, but there was an opportunity at the 182nd, which is at in Peoria. And so I, I made that transition to Peoria and uh, commissioned as a public health officer. And, and that's where I actually finished my, my career. Nice. Were there any deployments that you were involved in or, um, or interesting annual training places that you went to that you'd like to talk about? Sure. Um, I did have one deployment and um, I'm really um, glad that I had that experience. Um, in 2004, I, I actually volunteered because I was starting to feel a little bit, um, I don't know, it's just, you know, everybody's deploying and, you know, as public health, we have this deployment mission where we're always talking to people about, you know, how to keep safe during deployments and, and what, you know, you know, malaria prophylaxis they might need or vaccinations and all these things. And I'm like, I've never experienced any of that myself. And so I got an opportunity to go to um, Al-Udid Air Base in Qatar. It was there for six months. And I went as a, what they, I think it's different now. I think they changed the name, but at the time it was called CCN Escort Duty. And that was third country national escort duty. So basically went over and uh, worked for CE over there and with a group of people and our jobs were to bring third country nationals on base every day and then, you know, monitor them at all these various work sites and construction sites across mm -hmm. the base um, just to make sure everything was, you know, on the up and up and um, basically keeping, keeping the base safe. So. That was really interesting. So they were people um, that were like local that were working jobs on the base and they, they just were, needed mm -hmm. like a military person just kind of kind of around them just to kind of oversee things or. Absolutely. And it was more of a security detail. So it had really nothing mm -hmm. to do with like the projects they were working on because we, we I mean, there. Escorts were assigned to everything from like folks who were working on construction to paving roads to cleaning out porta potties, um, anything you can think of where they brought these people on. That was really interesting. They were actually from all over. So there's folks from Nepal and the Philippines and. Oh, interesting. Yes, and, and like different places in like the different stands and um, like it, it was very interesting. And, um, you know, they, they actually had camps like off the installation. So they would bring these people into work. A very interesting thing is they like paid them their working wage in their country. So they might be making like $3 a day on the installation over there. But it, it, wow. it was very interesting and, uh, you know, it was a security, a security detail, essentially, you know, and there were, there was, there were some fun things. And I, I will fully admit, I'm not a great public health technician. I mean, 
they would bring me curry that they made in their camps and stuff like that. And, uh-huh. Uh, you know, I'm a foodie, so. Yeah, and that's exciting <laughs> to try that, all that different food. Exactly. Like, oh, you made me curry in your fire pit? Yes, bring it. <laughs> I'm going to try it. <laughs> no, but, but it, was, it was really interesting. And um, I had one, uh, Hassan, he was a... He was like the head of a detail uh, and he only saw his family like once every two or three years. Um, otherwise he was just working and sending money home to them. And uh, we, we would pass, I was working on the nights at this time. We would pass midnight chow. And I think for like a month and a half, he'd say, oh, do you smell those hash browns? Like, oh, I can smell them. I can smell the hash browns. So one, one night I stopped at Midnight Chow and I got like a whole styrofoam container of hash browns and I, and I brought them and I, I mean, just I've never seen somebody so excited and thankful over my hash browns in my yeah. life. So that was kind of fun. Oh, I, I have something I wanted to ask you. So you got to fly in a fighter jet. I did. And so I, how did that happen? And what was that like? So when I was stationed in Korea, uh, the F-16 base, we, we were going through what they called at the time an HSI inspection. So it's like the, the old HSI JCO, which is yeah. a, a hospital inspection. And um, anyway, I, I did really well. Some of my um, public health programs received like top ratings. I think we had a best practice. And um, my uh, my major at the time, she meant to put me in to be coined and she missed the deadline. And she felt so terrible about it that that was her alternative was putting me in for this incentive flight. <gasps> and I know, yes. I was like, thank you, Jesus, right? Like, so she puts me in for this incentive flight and I was, um, there's just so many people and only so many people can go. So I was on a wait list and the guy ahead of me broke his leg and he couldn't go. So I got bumped up and, um, I I, I know I was like, it's like the only time in my life I was sort of thankful somebody was injured, but, um, um, he's fine. So, (laughs) (laughs) and it it was just, it was just, uh, the experience of a lifetime. I mean, I, I got to, they put you through a little bit of training. Um, they put you through some G force training and you learn how to do the G strain and, um, all of those things. I, I got paired up with this female pilot. Um, her call sign was stick, which was just like, it, it was just fun. She just was, um, she was great. Uh, a lot of the, the guys, you know, and, and especially like the male pilots, right? They just, their whole thing was like making these guys throw up, right? But that wasn't Stick's thing. So she wanted to make sure I had a great time. So, you know, she was awesome. She's like, make sure you put your camera in this pocket so you can pull it out. And I'll tell you exactly when to take pictures. And she let me do a combat takeoff and landing. And so I got to give the sign um, when we were ready to take off. And, and so she did a combat takeoff, which is like the plane just literally goes straight up in the air. Uh, and oh, it was wow. in Korea. So there's just all these like, it's mountainous. And 
um, there was all these peaks and valleys and and they have simulators in the planes, right, for training. So so as part of the training, I mean, she would let me, like, lock on to something and, you know, simulate I'm blowing it up. We did barrel rolls, and she let me, um, you know, control the plane. Oh, my God. It was it was That's one like... hour of, like, pure holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then what we a did, great we did opportunity. a combat landing. Yeah, it was amazing. And then we did a combat landing, so we came we came straight down and then onto the runway. And it was just as well wow. once in a lifetime experiences that are just like, is this my life right now? This is so cool. That's amazing. Any other fun stories you can recall? Oh gosh, so many. I, I think I just I feel so blessed for so many of the like I mean, so much fun too, right? I mean, the Air Force would send me to uh, a one-day training. I'd be like, sta- I'm stationed in Germany. The Air Force sends me to like a one-day training in San Antonio. And then I come back and, you know, my friends who were like, my coworkers in Germany were amazing. We were all like, you know, young 20s, not much responsibility. They were like my travel buddies, right? So they picked me up at Frankfurt Airport and we go straight to Berlin for the weekend, right? Like you don't, you don't even skip a beat, you know? So there's just a lot of fun stories like that um, with close friends just traveling. Another really, mm-hmm. really cool experience for me. Um, my grandfather was a medic in the Army Air Corps. He was stationed in, in, in which war? In the Army Air Corps in World oh. War II. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And so when I was stationed in Japan, I had the opportunity to visit Saipan. And that's where my grandpa was stationed. And now I, I never got to meet my grandfather. So mm-hmm. that was some, something that always sticks out is like just, you know, something that connects me to my ancestry or part of my past that I thought was really neat, right? Because it became tangible and something that I could touch. And I I remember seeing this like pencil drawing of him on a rock, like in Saipan. And, um, you know, next thing you know, I'm I'm in Saipan where where my grandpa was a a medic and there's still tanks hanging out of the ocean in Saipan, never removed something after the war. Um, wow. So, yeah, I mean, it just, it was just really interesting. So, you know, that's something that, that that'll always stick out. When will this ever happen again in your lifetime? You know, so I, I was with friends in Rome and uh, we we're at the Vatican in the Piazza. And next thing you know, um, you know, like a window at the Vatican opens and this long scroll starts like rolling down out of the window. And we don't really know what's going on. Like the other like thousands of people that are there are probably like, oh, what's happening, right? We're like, what's going on? So, They've been like uh, waiting for hours for yeah. his appearance. He just happened to stumble upon at the right exactly. moment. Exactly. We just show up and, uh, you know, next next thing you know, there's the Pope at, at the window and, and he addressed the public and he spoke, you know, I think he speaks you know, eight languages or something. He spoke in all, all languages and, you know, blessing us. And, um, you know, so that that's just another one that sticks out. It's like, oh, it's just yeah. wild, you know? Very cool. Mm-hmm. Well, awesome. Well, um, 
thank you so much for sharing all of your amazing adventures and stories. And I'm just, I'm just surprised I didn't realize how many awesome places that you had gone and the extent to where you were in your career. And then you retired as a captain. Is that right? That's right. Mm-hmm. Was there any last minute stories you wanted to add on or anything like that? Um, I can't think of any stories. I, I think just to reiterate that, like, I, I mean, for me, it was the adventure of a lifetime. I think I was, yeah. you know, I, I got to travel to 18 countries, um, something like that. And you know, you just, just the people, right. Just, just having that experience of like sort of really getting to experience almost like the fabric of America. Right. I mean, because we get to meet yeah. people from all over the place and all different socioeconomic backgrounds and cultures. And I sort of am fascinated with the human experience. So for me, it just yes. always felt so fascinating and I just, I loved every moment of it, um, even the crappy ones. <laughs> and I, uh-huh. I, you know, I look upon my time in service as, uh, you know, I'm so proud of it. And um, I feel so blessed, right? It's humbling uh, that I got to have all of those experiences and, and to serve our country, you know? So um, I just mm-hmm. I think it's amazing. And of course, to make an amazing friends like you. So um, yeah, just it was the adventure of a lifetime. Yeah. And what are you doing now that you're out out of the military? So I work as an infection preventionist um, at the Lake County Health Department. Um, so I did I did pursue that civilian uh, public health career, and uh, it's also a really interesting job. Um, very similar to public health, where it's sort of this eclectic, eclectic job working for the health department is really interesting. Yeah, so I'm, I'm using that degree and, and using, of course, all, all of the experience I gained while I was um, in the military. And uh, do you have any recommendations for things that you do for self-care nowadays? Ooh, self-care. Um, I still struggle with self-care a little bit. I I think I'm still, because I transitioned so recently, I feel like I'm just relaxing into sort of my life where I get that weekend back and I don't feel so rushed all the time. And I mm-hmm. think I'm trying to figure out a little bit like what that means to me. Um, I mean, for me, some like I love the change in seasons, right? So I, I'm so thankful I mean, hopefully we'll get there, right? But like one of my biggest things is like just to lay in my hammock and read a book. Like that's something I look forward to every single year when the weather's nice. And also I'm learning how to like work out and take care of myself because I want to be healthy and it's a priority and not because I have that PT test looming above me every year. That's a little something I'm trying to figure out I mean that that seems like self-care you know it's like all right like you know start yeah you're doing it more for yourself instead of job requirements or absolutely have to you're doing it because it's good for you and it makes you feel better exactly yeah so so it's just sort of trying to lean into some of that stuff and 
because I'm just a sort of experiencing my my freedom, right, of, of not having to do that weekend every month and, and working 12 days in a row every month. I mean, even even doing some of the things, you know, there's like things I've missed out on every year because we were at drill, you know, um, my mm -hmm. family likes to go to this sculpture thing every year in Lake Geneva. And I don't think I've ever gotten to go because of drill. Uh, and that's just one example, but like, just really trying to lean into that too, right? Like spending time with friends and family doing things that I enjoy mm -hmm. if I can, and I, I don't have to miss out on things. Um, so those are my big things, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And you're recently married and that's yeah. your new adventure. And that's really it exciting. That then now you have a little bit more time with your family. Absolutely. Which is exciting too. And that's what I said. I'm like, I traded in one adventure for another. Um, and we're a blended family, which is fun. And um, there's a, a big age range in the kids from you know nine to 25 and there's five girls between us and that's an adventure in itself so yeah, yeah. just sort of leaning leaning into my new life and and leaning into um you know this this next adventure and figuring it all out Angela thank you so much for coming to talk on the podcast today and I really appreciate your time and sharing all your stories and it was so wonderful to get to know a little bit more about your background before I got to meet you in the guard and and so thank you so much for for joining me today you are so welcome I, I really appreciate it I feel humbled that you asked me um, I, I do think this project is really interesting and, and really important um, especially for our, our women veterans, but also for people to learn a little bit more about our women veterans and what their experiences were. So thank you for having me. I feel, I feel really humbled that you asked me. Sure. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for listening and I appreciate any feedback. If you are a lady veteran and would like to be interviewed, you can reach out through my website, saveitforthedrive.com. You can get this podcast through the website, Spotify, or wherever you access your podcast. Always remember everyone deployed. And whenever you have a great story to tell, remember to save it for the drive. <laughs>